Good evening, everybody. Another episode of Basement Sports Podcast. We got a special guest tonight, Jordan Klein, joining us to talk some pit basketball. But we got Duty, who's joined us here from his remote southern location. Duty, what's going on? What's up, my bitches? There's a big fight in the Penguins game on right now. Already? Wow. It's yeah, awesome. first period. I don't know who it is. 53 for the Islanders. And who's 13? I, he's getting an ass whoop, and I can't read his jersey. All right. Well, we'll talk some Penguins hockey. Oh, Tanev. Tanev's getting Tanev. a whooping. Jordan, yeah, Klein. Jordan Klein's joining us tonight. Jordan, how are you doing tonight? I'm good. Thanks for having me on tonight. No, man. Thanks Looking for coming here. on. Appreciate you coming on. We got, we're going to be talking some pit hoops. Um... You know, it's been a real roller coaster season. You know, although pit pit fans seem to forget what the last few seasons have been like. Uh, but you know, Jordan, I want to I want to start this off with just asking you. You know, do you think this team is meeting? Is it surpassing, or is it like falling short of expectations so far? I would say going into the season, though, with COVID year and so much uncertainty, it was kind of hard to get a read on expectations, um, especially with the shortened offseason program, less player development over the summer. But I would say, I mean, this team was picked 12th in the league. They're sitting at, I don't know their exact placing right now, but they're sitting at two games below 500. I mean, I think they're this 11. team is 11. sitting at 11th in the league in probably some sort of a tie. But I would say this team's uh, somewhat exceeding expectations. I mean, First bright spot is uh, Justin Champagny. I mean, I, I think people expected a step up from him, but I don't think people expected what we're seeing now. He's averaging 19 and 11. Double-double machine, who's probably the leading favorite for ACC Player of the Year. Um, but beyond him, uh, I would say this team is meeting expectations. I think it would be nice to see if they could close out some more of these close games, uh, really get over that hump of being able to win these close games. They did that a little bit earlier earlier in the season. Right. against Northwestern and Syracuse. But I think this is a talented team. I think they can be a very good team, as we've seen in the game against Duke, Virginia Tech. But they really just need to be more consistent. And But overall, I do think they've exceeded expectations. How bad did losing Hughley hurt this team on the inside with having a big presence? I mean, I know he wasn't like putting up spectacular numbers or anything like that, but a big man is still a big man. Then he decides to go off and commit three felonies. So like how, how much, how much did that hurt? Yeah. Um, he needed a hobby. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think when you look at it, he was still, he was still a freshman. I right. don't think he would have been a game, total game changer for Pitt, but right. he's some added size on the inside. Like yesterday against NC state, Pitt got destroyed on the inside. Just, they just had just more size than us. Two, six, 11 guys on that front line. Um, I think it's, it's when you look at Julie's trajectory, really, in the short time he was here, he was really starting to trend upward before he got suspended. And it would have been nice to see how he could build on those few games where he was really starting to get used to ACC basketball, starting after getting his feet wet. I, I don't think it would have been a game changer, but it would just would have been nice to have that added depth on the inside, uh, especially Terrell Brown had a nice game against NC State, but previous Previously to that, he was virtually unplayable, and it just would have been nice to have a guy to spell Kulabali some more and maybe have some added scoring on the inside. Yeah. Look, this team this team turned into Penn State, and that's not a good thing. They rely on three pointers. They have absolutely no big men. I mean, even Champagne six foot six playing forward, he's not a forward. If he could shoot any better, he'd be a three. But they, it's it's frustrating because I think. Jordan was absolutely right. Going into the season, Pitt is Pitt. They, not a lot of expectations, but then they come out and they beat Duke. And now Duke, don't get me wrong, Duke's not great this year, but they beat Duke. And then they beat Syracuse and, you know, on the road. Twice. Then they come out. Yeah, yeah, twice. So then all of a sudden people were talking about, hey, Pitt has a shot. Maybe they're going to finish in the top, say, eight in the ACC if they win two games in the tourney. They might get into this whole thing in the ACC tourney. They might get into the big tourney, which I think is still possible if they win two. They may have to win three games in the ACC tourney now that they lost their last two games. But this is a, such a Jekyll and Hyde team. And Champagne is obviously their best player. And somebody needs to explain to me how on earth two games ago he put up six shots in the entire game. He had six attempts. 
Now, it wasn't the last game they played. I think it was against George Tech. He had six mm -hmm. field goal attempts. Are the coaches snapping on the bench or do they not? Did they, I didn't watch it. So did they sag into a zone and just not let him get the ball? Did they not set a pick for the kid? Um, they're not, Pitt relies way too much on jump shots. And when Champagny is not playing well, it's like a Penn State team. It's like watching a bad high school team that can't finish on the fast break. Um, and they're, if the other team has a big man, they're screwed. There's nothing you can do. They can't play. They're not, they're horribly defensively. Uh, they, they can't get a rebound to save their ass. And so I don't know. Did it have expectations? Not coming into the season. Then they win what five or six. Yeah. There were some expectations. They were playing. They were, I think Greg, you and I said on this podcast, Pitt might be fun to watch again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, that didn't, that didn't last long because they're no fun to watch anymore. Yeah, I mean, 100%. You really nailed that there. I mean, you're four and one in the ACC. I think yep. eight two overall in the middle of January with that one loss coming against Louisville without uh, Audis Tony, Justin Champagny. I mean, at that point, you're looking at this pit team. You're like, this is a team that can make some noise in the ACC with two convincing wins over Syracuse, win over Miami, a big road comeback over Northwestern. You've got guys playing well. You're like, Xavier Johnson's finally turning the corner you've been waiting for for so long. But unfortunately, this has really been the story of Pitt the past few seasons. And really, if you look at Jeff Cable's tenure throughout his whole head coaching tenure, whether that's at Pitt or, or Oklahoma, um, in terms of late season collapses and not being able to sustain success that's built on and not being able to build on success that's happened early in the season. And I not mean, being able to recruit big men. Yeah. Uh, say what you want. This is This isn't first team all gym class okay this isn't travel ball every team you play is going to have multiple seven footers on it i don't care if you play tennessee valley polytech for the blind they're going to have two seven footers on it they're not going to be able to watch and walk and chew gum at the same time for that team but they're going to be big and for whatever reason Pitt likes to focus on guard play and three pointers and trying to play defense but they get killed on the boards and this sports town is so ridiculous, and now that's now we got the Pirates to look forward to coming up. So I, I don't know what to tell you. I told Greg maybe three podcasts ago that I thought Pitt was fun to watch again, and I thought they were going to make the tournament this year, and then they go out and lay an egg. And uh, you know what? I don't even care if they make the tournament anymore because the way they've played the last two games is absolutely unwatchable. It's not – it's not indicative of an up and coming team. Sure. Some guy, some kid went to jail, but you got to have a little more depth than that. Yeah. I mean, I, I think when you look at college basketball as a whole, big men are generally harder to recruit, especially when you're at a new job than guards. I mean, look at what Jeff Cable did. He got uh, Trey McGowan's and Audie Stoney to reclassify, got Xavier Johnson's commitment in his first recruiting class. He did that in a matter of months. Uh, guards are just easier to plug and play. So I think I think Pitt's going to bring in some big men. I mean, Hugh Lost really hurts. He was a highly rated recruit. Uh, you got Noah Collier, Will Jeffress, bigger guys who are still developing. And you've also uh, really the one of the only guys Pitt's recruiting for this 2021 class, uh, F. Con Reed. I've been hearing good things about where Pitt stands with him. Uh, Five-star big men uh, doing a prep year at IMG Academy. I'm surprised we haven't heard more at this point in the process. But I think Pitt's in a good spot with him, and he would be a huge addition next year, especially if Champagny goes to the NBA. What's the deal with Xavier Johnson? I mean, it, there's, you know, I, I think uh, Coach Capel made some, you know, they were asking him about the technicals, and and Coach Capel was like, you know, we've talked to him about this a hundred times, and controlling his emotions and stop chirping at the at the officials, and it just, you know, how how much you know because. There was a period, there was a game, and I, I, I can't remember which game. Capel didn't start him, didn't start John. He came off Virginia the bench. Tech. Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech yeah, game, and yeah. And he came off and just blew it up, you know. He lit it up. He, he absolutely lit it up. So, you know, what do you, what does Capel have to do with the I mean, he's not a kid anymore. My God, he's a junior. You know, I mean, what, what do you have to do? Or is this just the way he, is this just him? He's a mental midget. There's, there's no other way you can put it. I mean. At this point, don't you have to at least sometime 
prove that you've been there before? I mean, can you imagine if he was in the Big Ten officiating crews, who was the worst in the country? The ACC is actually isn't that bad of an officiating conference, and he complains about every call. He ought to be in the NBA right now because all he does is bitch if the ball doesn't go in. But he's just – he's unable to control his emotions to the point – is, is he that the can, so here's the question jordan is xavier johnson the bobby hurley of of pit complaining <laughs> about every call <laughs> i think he's got a little bit of that in him but honestly i think that quote about jeff capel uh, regarding xavier johnson that quote about the technicals it doesn't just sum up xavier johnson when yeah. it comes to technicals and talking to the officiating crew it comes to Xavier Johnson's whole career and his whole playing style and his two and a half, three years at Pitt. Like Jeff Capel said, we've been telling him for two and a half, three years, stop talking to the refs. Yeah. Right. It's not just like that. We're talking to the refs. It's playing in control, playing with good pace. Right. Slowing it down on the fast break. Well, that was not Jordan. I was just going to say, you hit that right in the head. I was just going to say that kid does not know how to go 90% speed. Yep. He doesn't know how to slow down to, to set up a defender. He's just he goes 100 mile an hour at all times. Yep, he's very quick. But if you watch like the best the best NBA guards, they don't just play with quickness; they play with pace. Right. But yeah, and and like you said, knowing when to go fast and knowing and knowing when to slow down just a little bit, go 85, 90 percent, and set up a pass, maybe give the guy a a hesitation dribble move, something like that, because the kid is pretty much unguardable he can get his shots yep for sure um yeah i mean back back to what i i was saying i mean greg you were asking can we start to see xavier johnson turning a corner or is it it is what it is and i think at this point it is what it is i mean it's been two and a half almost three years i mean he did get thrown into the fire right away but he's been starting in the acc virtually every game for almost three years yeah and he hasn't We've seen flashes of it. He's definitely gotten better since his freshman year, but he just hasn't learned how to play with control on a consistent basis. And, I mean, he has so much talent. He's super athletic. But at this point with Xavier Johnson, he's as a, actually a high school coach or a college coach described this during the recruiting process. He's a Ferrari with no brakes. Yeah. He's, <laughs> he's super athletic when he's on. He's almost unguardable, mm-hmm. but yep. he just doesn't play with control consistent, consistent enough to really elevate this team to wins on a nightly basis. And, you know, he's so much better when they have the lead. It's almost like he calms down a bit. Uh, like he turns into berserk mode when they're behind, trying to make, trying to do too many things or make, make things happen uh, too much. But when they, when they have the lead, the kid is really good. He seems to calm yeah, down quite a bit and sure. he doesn't complain as much when, you know, he, he thinks he gets fouled every time he dribbles past the guy. And when you're up by 10 or 12 points, uh, which Pitt has been this year, they, uh, he, he seems to take it in stride a little better. Yeah, I agree. And I think there's people, there's people out there uh, for the last two years, two, one and a half, two years who've been, been on this notion, who've gotten this notion that Xavier Johnson's a selfish player. And in my opinion, that's just ridiculous. Yeah, I don't agree with that. There's there's no question that this kid, you see it every night, this kid wants to win so badly. It's just, he just, sometimes you want to win too badly and those competitive, that competitive nature, that competitive fire just gets put in the wrong places. Yep. And unfortunately, I think that's what we've seen with, uh, with Xavier Johnson. So, you know, we've talked about Champagne. Do you see any way, shape, matter, or form he's back with this team next year? I don't see it. I mean, I don't see if I'm Champagne, I don't see why he would consider returning. I mean, he's still pretty young uh, for the, even though it's the second year in college, he's still pretty young. He's only 19 and age is when you're going to the NBA, trying to get drafted age is really the most important thing. They look for guys who are young, who still have potential, but with Justin Champagne, I mean, people are saying, Oh, he can come back, elevate into a first round pick. But I, if you're Justin Champagne, I don't really see room that much room to grow in college i mean this is really the best can't have a better college season than he's having he's averaging he's averaging 18 points 11 rebounds on 50 percent from the field i mean people are saying oh he can come back come back for a year improve his three-point shot but that even though he's only shooting 35 percent from three he's a very good shot form that projects very well scouts see that 
And added to the fact that he started shooting threes less than two years ago, that's a shot that projects very well for NBA scouts. And I think he can be a high second, mid-second round draft pick. And I don't, I don't really see why he would come back because I think his draft stock right now is as high as it's ever been, taking into account his age and how productive of a season he's had. Yeah, I I may disagree with that depending on how Pitt's season ends up. If Pitt goes on a little bit of a run, has some success in the ACC tournament, this kid's going to have to decide between the NBA D-League or coming back for another year, uh, getting more experience, playing against some guys in the ACC. I mean, he's having a great year, there's no doubt. Um, and he, he he's, doesn't have a whole lot of help. So I think if Pitt gets better, and it might even open up his him to – to have a little more room to maneuver in when he's playing, but you know, you playing against Duke every, every year, um, Syracuse against the zone. I think there's a lot of experience to be had. I think Jordan hit it on the head. He's kids 19. You want to go play and travel and get on the, go on the NBA D league team to an, un, just so maybe you can improve your three point shooting, or do you want to come back and try to become a first round pick? Um, I think if Pitt now, if Pitt stinks, He's going to leave. There's no doubt. I don't think he's going to transfer. I think he's either going to go pro or he's he's going to come back. And I think Pitt can go on a little bit of run in this tourney. It might give him the incentive to say, you know what, we might be okay next year. And I don't want to spend a year, you know, in the New Jersey D team for the D League, whatever the hell are you well, going? Well, the thing the is, Topeka. You look at this. You look at the team though, Jordan. It's like there's no team in the ACC that Pitt can't beat. It's not like they haven't gotten boat raced. I mean, the the North Carolina game was like they got taken to the woodshed a little bit by North Carolina, but North Carolina is so damn good. They're huge. They're a bad matchup for Pitt. Mm -hmm. But you're you're right. But I mean, got too many big guys. They got huge. They have huge front line. But you know, this every game, even their losses, have been competitive. They've been like less than five points. I mean, yeah, for sure. Uh, I think that speaks a testament to a few to a few things. Um, first is really the lack of shooting. Ups. I mean, when you get when you get into a late game, for example, you look at that game against Wake Forest. You make some of those free throws in the during the final stretch. I think Champagne missed two, Femi missed some. You make those free throws, you probably win that game. And you really you don't really have a guy mm-hmm. who you can go to and tell him go get me a bucket, whether it's on a three-point shot or driving to the hole. I mean, Xavier Johnson can score, but it also speaks to the lack of shooting and also the lack of leadership. I mean, when you look at when you look at some of the best teams, in not just this year, but any year in college basketball, the teams that are able to close out games, teams that are able to win those close games, and the teams that compete for 40 minutes every night, those teams have experienced leadership. And frankly, at this point, I don't think Pitt has that. I mean, this team, it lacks discipline. They lack focus. I think they're, they, they're competitive and they want to win. But I think the lack of leadership really places, really hurts this team, especially when it's in those close games, because they're for sure a talented team. Well, you, they're you, for sure one of the better teams in this league from a talent standpoint. But I think the lack of leadership, which right. leads to a lack of focus, really hurts this team, especially in those close games. Well, you know, you, you bring up free throws, and this has always been a pet peeve of mine. Like I, I, I wasn't much of a basketball player, but damn, I could shoot free throws. Like I, I, you know, that was something I, I would shoot a bazillion free throws, uh, during practice. And you know, the thing, when I went to pit, if the game was on the line and you had a one or two point lead and there was 10 seconds left on the clock and pit had the ball, you know, they were going to move heaven and earth and move through 75 screens to get Sean Miller the ball. Like he was getting because you wanted him to be the one to get fouled. Pitt really doesn't have somebody like that. Pitt doesn't have somebody that's like you want to get get the ball to let them get fouled because you know that they're damn near automatic from the free throw line. They really don't have the entire that. the entire sport of basketball doesn't have don't free, shoot free throws. You know how the only the only only two things you need to do to become a good free throw shooter you need a ball and a net. That's it. A hoop. All you have to do is shoot 100 foul shots a day, and you're going to improve, period. Shaquille O'Neal. I did it. I held the free throw percentage for my high school. Shaquille O'Neal, would that improve him or maybe not? Yes. He just didn't do it. He dunked all day. Dwight Howard. 
He's with the Sixers right now. He's gotten worse throughout his career. Oh, tell me. No, I don't want to interrupt your story. Like, you still hold the high school record for free throws? No, they for... broke it after okay. that. But I held my high school free throw percentage record at 92%, and it was there 12 years after I graduated. Mm -hmm. You know why? Because I shot foul shots. Every day in the summer, I went and shot the basketball. That's it. Did 100 foul shots every day. And teams and players don't do those anymore. No, I don't even think they do practice them. I, seriously, I think they're so concerned with these coaches are so concerned the, of getting the offense and running it, run the offense correctly and doing this and making sure you're doing this on defense and picking up or doing your switches. They don't, I don't even know if they, even at the end of practice, if they say, okay, go shoot a couple foul shots and take a shower. I honestly don't think they care. We weren't allowed, Jordan, we weren't allowed to stop running gassers until somebody hit two free throws. Like that's yeah. how every practice had to end. Like somebody yeah. had to yeah. hit two free throws. I mean, throws. I think they practice free throws. I mean, I don't really I don't really know why. I don't get why they're not better from the free throw line. They shoot sixty seven percent as a team. That's awful. That's yeah. I think it might have to do because I mean free throws, I mean in practice you give any of these guys the ball, they're making nine out of ten shots. I think it's it's probably it's probably a focus thing. Uh, mm -hmm. just being focused on the free throws. Uh maybe that has to do with the lack of leadership. I don't know. Free throw shooting is a really hard thing to figure out about why teams have free throw shooting problems. I mean, they look, I mean, Jeff Cable's divisional basketball coach, he probably has them practicing <laughs> shooting free throws, but it's that I, that's one thing that I don't get why this pit team's not better at is shooting free throws. So let's let's look at this this year. You know, I mean, this is just nuts with COVID and Pitts had uh, games postponed. They've had they've come off the court, and you know the ACC gets them on the phone. Hey, get to Virginia. You know we can squeeze you in. You know or we can squeeze this. Hey, is there a non-conference team you can throw in here in the middle of the week? You know, and of course, everybody here in Pittsburgh is like screaming about them calling up Duquesne and playing Duquesne because they want the city game to come back. But they could have called Penn State. I guess. But anyway, uh, the, the question is, with all how, how much of a challenge was this and how good of a job do you think Capel has done overall with this team when you put what's gone on this season? Because there's been no consistency. Like, so overall, like how well do you think he's fared? We talked about you thought that they've, you know, they've actually um, surpassed expectations a bit. Now you throw, I mean, that would be, they'd be surpassing expectations if this was a normal season, you know, and there wasn't COVID and there was, you know, 15 to 17,000 fans in the stands every night. But with everything that's going on and trying to keep this stuff together, and then you've got guys that are getting tested, guys that are testing positive, you got to hold them out of practice. You know, they got to go on on a protocol. Like, overall, how is how has he done? Uh, do you feel, and how's the team done navigating through all this? I mean, it's it's hard. It's very hard to navigate these protocols, uh, even from a non basketball standpoint. I think it takes uh takes a mental toll on these guys. I mean, look, these guys are Division One basketball players. They don't want to be sitting at home in their apartments all night. They'd rather be doing stuff. And I, I think Pitt's done a pretty good job. I mean, you haven't had that many positive tests on the Pitt side, or that many uh, that many canceled games um, because of Pitt. Right. I think they've done a pretty good job with the product managing the COVID protocols, wearing the masks, doing the distancing. But I think of the uncertainty, especially with a young team, is hard. Not knowing where you're going to play, not knowing who you're going to play, and I think that's something to take into it, take to take into account when evaluating the season. But the reality is, every team is having to deal with the same thing. So it's really about who can adapt more. And I think a big part of that is leadership, which frankly it lacks at the moment. So I don't think that helps you from that standpoint that you're still an inexperienced team and it's harder to adapt when you don't have that leadership from your players that uh, a lot of teams do have. What, um, let's take a look forward um, for recruiting uh, because Pitt has kind of even 2021, 2022, big fat zeros on the board for, for commits. Um, who are they looking at? Let's just look at 2021 right now. Who are they looking at? Who do they still have a chance to get? 
I know they've struck out on a couple of point guards lately that they finished in the top five, but then weren't the one went to Kansas and I forget where the other one went to. But where are they looking right now? Are there a couple of players that you could tell us, hey, if they land these guys, that's going to be a, a step forward? Yeah. Well, the one guy who really sticks out is uh, F. Con Reed, uh, five star, top 30 big man, doing a prep year at IMG Academy. Mm-hmm. His recruitment's been kind of kind of quiet of late um but i've been hearing that Pitt is in a very good spot and probably leads for him um ohio state's gonna be tough to beat in his recruitment um he also could go pro uh whether that's the g league or overseas but if you land him that is just a huge addition you cannot under underestimate how big of an addition that would be uh, he's a guy, he's a very college-ready. I mean, you think all these top 30 guys should be college-ready, but he's especially college-ready, very skilled uh, at seven foot. Kind of reminds me a little bit of, bit of Jalil Okafor from Duke a few years ago. Mm-hmm. So this kid would just come in, make an immediate impact inside, clean up the rebounding. He can block shots, rim protect, rim run. And I know you were saying earlier, Pitt needs a big man. He would be the big man you want. Right. He's he absolutely real, would. He's a real good player. He, he can make a huge impact for Pitt. He's and he's really the main guy they're looking at in recruiting. What about point guard? Like are they who who is there anybody on their radar that they're looking for a guard that they might be able to land cuz that's where they've kind of struck out the last couple of kids. Um I don't think Cable's looking necessarily for a point guard. I think right. he, he's probably going to try and land a guard whether that's via the transfer portal whether it's a grad transfer or a traditional transfer i mean right. you could see the one-time transfer rule get passed but regarding the point guard position i think uh jeff capels he's Samiota cali as his point guard of the okay. future okay i mean there's been mixed reaction on whether he's a point guard i personally think he can be i personally think he's gonna be a really good point guard for Peyton Pierce. i mean long arms athletic good court vision um I think he's a lot of good tools, and I think Capel sees him as the point guard of the future, and I don't think he's looking to land a point guard this class. Okay. So, overall, Jordan, do you do you feel Capel and this coaching staff has the program moving in the right direction? Per, per, before you answer, I, I think he does. Um, again, we can just think back. If you want to go back two, three, four years ago, have fun, you know, when you weren't winning any ACC games. Um, but I'd like your thoughts on, do you feel Capel's got this program moving in the right direction? I mean, I think when you just look at the past few seasons, there's no question that the trajectory is somewhat up. I mean, you won three games your first year, six games your second year, and you haven't played that many games this year, but you're five, you're only two games below 500 in the ACC. And so there's no question he's improved. Uh, I don't, I don't know how much he can improve. improve. Um, I've been asked a lot, can Jeff Capel bring Pitt back to what it was? But the truth is, what Jamie Dixon did at Pitt, Jeff Capel will not be able to do that in the ACC. What Jamie Dixon did at Pitt was unprecedented. There's been two programs in the last 10 years who've had the type of sustained regular season success that he had. That's Gonzaga and Villanova. Mm-hmm. What, can Jeff Capel bring Pitt Um competing for top 25, competing for NCAA tournaments, and maybe his teams will be better suited to make a run in the NCAA tournament. Do I think he's going to get to that point, which I really think is his ceiling? I don't know. Mm -hmm. I I don't know. I'm having a hard time figuring that out because I think when you look at a macro, when you look at a macro level, you just look at the records, the recruits, you say, oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, he's improved his win total every year. Um, Coming, inheriting a team that didn't win a single ACC game, I mean, last season you had a top 25 recruiting class, a two four-star guys in that class, and a bunch of other good pieces. But I think when I when I start to look at it at a, on a more micro level, evaluating each individual game, each individual player's development and their trends, I start to have more doubt and more concern. Um, first of all, I mentioned this earlier, with the late season collapses when you look at Cable's tenure at Oklahoma, now here at Pitt, are extremely alarming. I mean, in his Cable's first year, at, I don't have the numbers from his uh, tenure at Oklahoma, but they were bad there. Cable's first year at Pitt, you start out, I think it was like three and four in the ACC or something, and you lose 14 of 16. Last season, you're sitting at 500, then you lose eight of nine, and now you've lost five of your last six games. So that's really the first thing that concerns me about uh, 
about Jeff Cable's uh, tenure and will he be able to get it very improving to get to that top 25 range. Right. I also have a lot of questions about his staff. I think there's no doubt that Cable's a strong recruiter as a head coach, but uh, I think on the staff, I don't think you have very strong recruiters. And also just his ability as a basketball coach. I mean, if you're not going to go out and get top 20 guys and McDonald's All-Americans, you've got to be able to coach. You've got to be able to have a scheme. You've got to be able to have players who will play in that scheme. You've got to be able to construct a roster. Yes, when you recruit, you say, oh, I want to get this guy. Oh, we got to get the best target. It's about that. It's bigger than that. It's a puzzle. You've got to be able to build a puzzle of guys, of recruits who will fit well together. And frankly, Which is why which is why Jamie Dixon, going back to him, had success. Because what did Jamie Dixon do to every player that ever came to the pit? He emphasized defense. And if you didn't want to play defense, you didn't want to box out, you weren't going to see the court, period. End of story. They had an identity. And he ended up getting pieces that fit together, just like Jordan saying, and then people hated it. They ran him out of town. He just they're tired of losing in the final four. God damn it. They suck. Guess what? Good luck. And as far as Capel's concerned, where he started, you know how bad that last coach before Capel was, how that roster was. Oh, my God. Right. Quite possibly the worst college Division One basketball team maybe on the, in the history of the sport before <laughs> Capel got there. So, yeah, I think he's going in the right direction, but – uh, confidence level. I like his game day coaching. If you watch Pitt, he doesn't do any glaring, stupid stuff. Um, he doesn't let a timeout expire at the end of the first half. You know, you use it or lose it. He'll call it even for shits and giggles. Cause he's going to lose it. He, he has a game plan. He, he calls timeout to stop runs. Uh, if anything he plays and maybe this is a lack of bench for Pitt, but I think why they collapse at the end or wherever he's been is he plays, he plays five or six guys. Maybe let's just give him credit and say six guys is all he wants to play with. And I think they wear down by the end of the year. I mean, I think the past few years, I mean, you, who are you going to play? I mean, in the past few Yeah, years, that's my point. Yeah. I said maybe yeah. a lack of depth is the reason sure. he does it. I mean, but yep. I mean, he did it really, in Oklahoma, though, too. Oklahoma, he didn't go more than seven deep. Mm-hmm. I really think, for the most part, you've you've had a six man rotation for most of the season. I mean, Terrell Brown had a nice game uh, against right. NC State, but before that, he was virtually unplayable. Nike hasn't done much. Femi's been very solid off the bench, but right. really, you're really stuck with their six guys. But back to back to what I was saying about roster construction, you got, it's bigger than just landing the best recruits. Yeah, you've got to be able to construct a roster of guys whose styles fit well together. Like for example, Xavier Johnson and Trey McGowan, right? Two very good players and two good players individually, but they just didn't work. And I think that's something that Cable is going to have to realize is this isn't just go out and land the best guys that I can. I, they have to construct a roster and have a game plan and have an identity and construct a roster around that identity. And I haven't, I haven't seen it, to be honest, because I also, in terms of an X's and O's standpoint, from a basketball standpoint, I have – uh, questions about like the scheme coach, the ability to coach scheme, player development, the ability uh, to coach uh, fundamentals. So I think, I think there's no doubt Capel's going to recruit well. He's going to get his guys to play hard, um, and he's going to get his guys to compete, and that his guys want to win. But I think I, I have a lot of questions about his coaching, and I think part of that could be attributed to his staff. I mean, I think he would be wise to upgrade his staff, go get either a tenacious recruiter, a young guy who can just recruit the hell out of guys, or a a very innovative, smart X's and O's guy who can really serve as a kind of like an assistant. I mean, you have Tim O'Toole, but just another guy really just knows basketball, who's innovative. And, yeah, that's, that's, that's really where I stand. I think just reiterating on a macro level, we're definitely moving in the right direction. But when you look at it on a more micro level, I still start to doubt. Yeah, I I got to I got to tell you, and I probably brought this up on previous podcasts before. Uh, back when Dixon was was coach, I got into a uh, an argument 
online, uh, you know, in one of those. No, chat rooms, not you. One of those chat rooms uh, with a with a PG reporter about pit basketball. And it was kind of like their take was, look, if Pitt makes the tournament, Pitt makes the Sweet 16, be happy with that. Because that's all you're going to get with this program, no matter what coach you bring in. You could bring Mike Krzyzewski in. You could bring Jim Beheim in. You could bring anybody in. And Pitt basketball program is never going to be better than a Sweet 16, maybe a, an occasional Elite Eight. But at best, and but, but my argument always is like, you have one of the most gorgeous venues in college basketball. I mean, I've been to the Pete. You know, it's a great place to watch basketball. And when Pitt was good, it was electric. I mean, it was it zoo. was the be- it was the zoo. It was the best ticket in town, by far. Like when Dewan Blair and that crew was was. I remember Duty and I went to a game against Syracuse. Couldn't even talk to each other. You're sitting next to you. You couldn't speak because you couldn't Uh hear each other. The place and we were we were willing to walk up Cardiac Hill, so it must have been good. (laughs) Well, this is this is my argument. Is like my argument back to that guy that night was like, you know, well, Jim Beheim's in Syracuse. I've been to Syracuse. How in God's name does he get kids to come to Syracuse? Okay, I know Pittsburgh. You know, some people might say Pittsburgh's not that great. And maybe Pitt doesn't have a great campus. It's a city campus. But my God, there's other schools that can bring these kids in and they're top 10 programs year after year. So when you talk about Capel and you wonder like what his ceiling is, well, after Capel, because, you know, I don't think Capel's going to stay here forever, but is, is it, is it the, the, the program itself is it go up to the athletic director's office? Is this something that if Pitt ever wanted to be a year in, year out elite basketball team, is that something that no matter who comes in here, that's never in the cards or they'd have to like step up from somebody like Capel? Um, well, I think there's really two, two things to that. First of all, I mean, I, even if Capel, Capel's, I mean, even if he gets to that level, you're going to need a really elite coach to come in. You're going to need a coach K, a Bill Self, mm-hmm. uh, John Calipari, a, uh, one of those guys, but I mean, it's, and a lot of it, honestly, a lot of it too has to do with the changing, changing landscape of college basketball and guys transferring all the time. Right. I mean, I think the way Jamie Dixon and Ben Helen built that program, frankly, with the, with the landscape of college basketball today, the identity that they had, that you're going to sit, you're going to develop and practice. You're going to get toughened up in practice. And then when it's your junior or senior year, you have your turn. I don't think that's possible in college. Basketball I agree. Today. I agree. And, if, if, if you look at the landscape of college basketball, we've seen, even in the past five to 10 years, we've seen less sustained success from teams everywhere. I mean, mm-hmm. just look at Kentucky, Duke, North Carolina the past few years. They frankly just haven't, they haven't been as good. It's because the trend I think it's because of the transferring, all the guys going to the NBA. So there's no doubt right now it's harder to get the sustained regular season success than it was when Jamie Dixon was here. And I mean, People are saying, oh, can we get back to where Jamie Dixon was? What Jamie Dixon did was unprecedented. He was competing. If you look at the regular season records from uh, – if you look at from that 2002 season to 2012 or 11, Pitt has like the best regular season record. They're up there with like Duke and Kansas in terms of winning percentage. When Pitt yeah. left the Big East, Jamie Dixon was the all-time winningest coach in the history of the conference. Yeah, I they mean, couldn't get him out of here quick enough. I I don't I don't understand it. I was I, I'm with you. I'm with you, Jordan. I I don't get it either. It's just it's very hard to just sustain that success. And I think Capel, his teams, I think Pitt can get to a final four under Capel. Am I would I bet on it? Probably not. Uh-huh. But I think I think it's something that he can do, even if he doesn't have as great of sustained success in the regular season. Well, well, I. You talk about Syracuse and Bayheim, and uh, the reason people go to Syracuse is, quite frankly, is because they win. They're in the tournament. They've won national championships, and he sends kids to the pros. That's the only reason you go to Snowfall, New York, when you're up there with Syracuse. Um, as far as the Jordan's point about these kids, even even Duke, even Shashevsky admitted that he's going to have to start getting one-and-done kids. 
Right. People never left Duke early. Grant Hill stayed four years, for God's sakes. Christian Leitner, um, they didn't leave for the pros back then. So, And kids do leave now. So that, that is a part of the problem. And that's what you're seeing with Duke, Kentucky, all these, all these teams, and even, even though to a, to a lesser extent is North Carolina this year, they're young. Duke's all, Duke starts four freshmen because all their kids went to the pros after one year. But Krzyzewski still said, I'm going to start recruiting one and done. Like two, three years ago, he said it. I think, uh, Calipari started it. I think you had a period from, I think if you look at like the end of the 2000, like around 2009, 2010 to around 2015, where the one and done was working. But it, in the past few years, it hasn't really been working that well for teams. I mean, I don't know. I don't know why. I don't know what it is. I don't know if these kids are less talented. I don't know if they're less mature. But even so, with kids going to the NBA so early, it's just hard to to have that level of continuity. Like, I I talked to I talked to Trey Woodall um, on one of my podcasts, and he said, "You, I went to Pitt, I redshirted, and I was okay with that because I knew that I was going to sit behind the Vance Field, and that." my time would come eventually. And he just said that was the culture of the program. That was, that was, you go to Pitt, that's what happened. He also said there, there was, there was a guy there who came in his recruiting class who wasn't okay with that. And he transferred. And what Trey basically told me, he said, if you're not willing to buy into that culture, then they they don't want you here. And it's hard to create that type of culture today. The type of culture that Pitt had under Jamie Dixon, where you sit, you wait your turn and then you'll get your opportunity. It just, it doesn't happen anymore because guys don't want to sit. I mean, I don't blame them. I wouldn't want to sit for two years either, especially with the landscape of basketball today. But you've got to adapt to the times, and that's that's something Jamie Dixon didn't do. But I'm hoping to see Jeff Capel take advantage of the growing resources today, take advantage of the transfer portal and grad transfers. It's not all about recruiting anymore. Right. Um, you can really land quality guys through that transfer portal. Uh, grad transfers are super important uh, in this changing landscape, and it's just it's it's not possible. I think it's impossible to recreate what they can do. Well, the kids that they're asking to sit, remember, they probably the one of the one of the best kids that come out of that high school of all time, right? You got a Division One scholarship. You're telling these kids, "Nice job. You were so good. You got a Division One scholarship at a major university. You're not going to play at all this year." That that doesn't seem right to me. I mean, I wouldn't want to do that if I was that good of a player. I think, yeah, I would, yeah. yeah. Go, go ahead, Jordan. Sorry. No, you go ahead. That's... No, I was just, no, you I think, go ahead. Damn it. <laughs> I was just saying, you know, you were talking about like how the one and done's went. You know, correct me if I'm wrong. I think the last real successful one and done national championship was Kentucky. Yeah, that's, he Davis. started it. Calipari yeah. made no bones about it. He said, I'll take every one of them. Right. 2015 Duke, I, I really 2015 think. Duke? Okay. Yeah. But yeah. when you look at that team, that team was really a balance. I mean, you had, you would, you were probably, you're one of those where honestly your best players with uh, Jalil Okafor, right. uh, Trey Jones, and Tyus Jones, excuse me, and Justice Winslow. But another thing you had in that team, you did have senior leadership. You can cook Neil Jefferson, Matt Jones. Right. So I think you, I think you have to have a balance. I think you can win with one of those, but you also got to make sure you have that senior leadership. Right. Exactly. Well, Jordan but caught up to caught up to Kentucky. They're horrible. <laughs> They're horrible They're this bad. year. Yeah, I watched. I watched again. I watched them lose to Arkansas. <laughs> and I watched them get crushed by Tennessee. Yeah. 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 They are not, so. they are not easy to watch. That's for sure. So Jordan, uh, wrapping up, where can everybody find you? Where can they find you on Twitter, your podcast, go ahead and give everybody information where to find you. Yeah. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at pit underscore presence, uh, podcast links in my bio. Um, I, I haven't made a podcast in a while, but there's a bunch of old ones to go back and listen to. I've had a ton of guests on the basketball side. I've had uh, Trey Woodall, Julius Cage, Ronald Ramon. I've also had Tyler Palco, Doran Dickerson on the football side. So mm-hmm. go take a listen. Awesome. Awesome. Jordan, always a pleasure to have you on, man. Thanks so much for coming on. And, uh, hey, we'd like to get you back, especially if you want to talk some football. When college football starts, uh, starts ramping up, we'd love to have you come on and uh, talk pit football. Yeah, we'll sure, get Jordan you. back when you know when Pitt makes the tourney, and uh, <laughs> and if they don't make the tourney, Jordan, we'll see you next year. That uh, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, anytime. Thanks for having me on. All right, Jordan. Thank have a you good night. so much. Appreciate Thank it. You. 
All right, everybody, that was Jordan Klein from Pitt Presence who joined us this evening, and uh, you'll be able to uh, you'll be able to listen to him on the podcast. Always a great guest, um, so knowledgeable, knowledgeable, so knowledgeable about Pitt basketball. But we're gonna uh, we're gonna uh, change switch gears here a little bit, and we're gonna uh, talk a little bit uh, Penguin hockey. Uh, Duty, you were telling me that. You were watching a fight. Uh, I know it's one nothing Penguins right now. But yeah, were... first first period, Tanoff Tanoff squared off against somebody, and he didn't do well. So talk talking about a talking about a roller coaster. Okay, an absolute roller coaster. The Penguins have been it, you know. And and I I I watched the. Did you watch either of the Capitals games? I watched the second one when when they beat them. Okay. When when, when Capitals, Capitals beat them. All right. So. I got to tell you, and, and people might disagree with me, but I was watching, um, I watched the first and the second one. The first Penguin game against the Capitals, I think it was the most complete game the Penguins had played this year. I think it was the most complete game they played. And then, you know, and, and the second game, people were like, oh my God, this team's not going to make the playoffs. So maybe not. Because yeah, they might not. They still. might not. But here's the thing. If you watch the first period of that game, they missed at least five golden chances to score. Okay, and, and, and including Sidney Crosby, who you never see miss an empty net, and he did. So, well, I, what, what I you, think you got. I think that's part of the problem because their offense is not nearly as good as it has been the last couple of years. And you know my favorite player on the team, and he has absolutely sucked ass the entire year. Mm-hmm. Malkin. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they need to change the lines up. I would put Rust out there on that, on the couple different lines. I put him with Gensel. Um, uh, everybody, if you listen to everybody, they're saying, well, you can't just bench mm-hmm. Malkin. He's too big, too big of a name. He's been too good for so long. You know what? What's the worst that could happen if you bench him? Right. If you'd take him, if you take him down to the second line or the, you know, take him, take him down a line or sit him out. You don't bench him. Come up with an injury. Right. <laughs> Let him take two games off. Uh, if any Malkin um, has a, has a lower body. <laughs> yeah. He has a, he has a head injury, which is his brain because he's colorblind. He can't pass the puck to his own teammates. Um, he's just, he's been really, really bad. Now he's not as bad. You, I told you what is it three or four years ago? Now you got to get rid of Malkin now because yeah. he's going to get nothing but worse. Yep, you did. And you then I was right until you, you wanted to trade him. You had him on I the did. chopping block. I did yep. when he was paying all the money. He just came off another Stanley Cup. I said now's the time to get rid of him. Right. And of course they couldn't. They didn't. They're going to keep him together. And he's horrible. And he was bad last year. I don't care what you say, as far as points. The guy is. He leads the team in stupid penalties. And by stupid penalties, I mean, you got a one goal lead, right? You're not up by four goals. You know, and he goes over and slashes a guy in the back of the legs because the guy, you know, checked him on the way down the last time down the ice. He goes over and slashes. Him. Yeah. Um, stupid penalties. He's got a temper. He's got, a well, temper. yeah, he I mean, pissed. he's, he is dumber than uh, what was my favorite guy's name? You know, is it Bonomo? Benino. Benino was the dumbest penguin in the history of hockey. Yeah, but he was He's a the hero only guy here. I know that he was a hero. The only here. guy I know that would uh, ice the puck just to get a faceoff back in their zone with a one goal lead, and the other team having a man advantage because they pulled their goalie, and he would just ice it. He'd, I've seen him do it multiple times in a playoff game. I'm like, what are you doing? Just hold it. Oh, so bad. But yeah, I'm not impressed with Malkin, but I'll tell you what, no one likes to say it in Pittsburgh. Sid's not having a great year either. No, he's not. So maybe they're just not gelling. Um, Maybe this weird season and playing the same team two games in a row. I mean, look, they're not, they're certainly not out of it. If they win tonight, Mm -hmm. they're, they're right there. They're They're top four. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and if they're not, they're right where they are now, which is being close to being eliminated at eight spot. Right, but they're only a quarter of the way through the season, so, so t- unless you can pick up a goalie um, right. that some team wants to get rid of for cap reasons, possibly. Right, I don't know. 
So let's talk about something else because we touched on this last time we had a podcast about the possibility yeah. of Ron Hextall becoming the general manager. Well, guess what? Ron Hextall is the general manager, but Brian Burke is the uh, president of hockey operations. So how is that relationship going to work out? You know what? I don't know a lot about Burke uh, other than the fact he's been very successful throughout his career. Uh, he just seems to be the guy that if you were going to make a trade – and he's retired and he's sitting in a hunting cabin in Saskatchewan and have smoking a big cigar, having a cordial and watching hockey in front of the roaring fireplace in his underwear. You'd call him and say, Hey, we were thinking about maybe trading for this guy. What, what's your opinion of this guy? And he'd be able to tell you, right. He'd give you an honest answer. And I think that's what Pittsburgh did. I think they just said, this guy flat out knows hockey period. Mm-hmm. We can't be worse without him. Um, and I think I think Hextall's a great draft guy. He rebuilt Philly from the ground up. Yeah, he did. He did. But like we mentioned on the last time we talked about this, he's very, very patient with the prospects. Right. He'll get good ones, but he will not pull a trigger if you're in the if you if you're in eighth spot or ninth spot and you, to win this year and you got to make the playoffs. He's not giving a couple prospects up. He's not going to give up prospects like Rutherford no, was to get you to, to make the playoffs this yeah, year. Yeah. And that's exactly what Rutherford would do. Yeah. That's why they don't have any system right and, now. And, the like, Pens don't have a farm system. And yeah, as Rutherford not only gave away prospects, but gave away draft picks. Yes. You know, so. But how many cups did he win? He, he won two cups. He won back-to-back so, cups. So No one remembers that. But you no. want to know why they're struggling? Because they the cupboard's bare in the Pittsburgh Miners right now. Yeah, and they got to do something too with Latang. Latang is just—he's just. He's just uh, I, I, well, here you know what Latang has become: Gregory Polanco for the Pirates. <laughs> Everybody knows you got to get rid of him. Yeah, but but nobody no, wants. Nobody's going to give, give you anything for him. for him. No, and he's not playing real well right now. No, he's not. But he hasn't so, played real well for two years now. No, I don't so, think so. You know, if you're a GM for another team and you're going, look, I do think Latang's a veteran president. He can still play, but I'm not giving up anything for him. They're going to release him. Right. Let me right. just see if they're going to release him. That's exactly what's going on. Who are you giving up? Are you giving up a draft pick for Latang? He's playing horribly. Yeah, he's bad. He's really, really bad. So, I but mean, again, you know, Marino was all world his first year in the in the NHL. He was one of the best rookie defensemen I've seen in a long time. Mm hmm. He's not playing that no, to that level right good. now either. No. Um you know, I think I think Gensel's the real deal. Like I I, I Absolutely I, I, I love Gensel. He's just he's a great scorer. You know, I think he was really a diamond in the rough that the, the Penguins found and they're gonna hold on to. And they got a he couple of He anticipates really he well. He anticipates extremely well. And I think Brian Rust is just one of those guys who's got a nose for the net. Like he just, and he's fast, and he's, he's, he's fast on the skates. I, my biggest question, and I brought this up, I think, on the last podcast, was getting, getting rid of Hornquist. I, I just I, I think one of the things that the Penguins are missing is that asshole in front of the net. Well, <laughs> you know, just, a locker room. And a, and a locker room presence, exactly. He was definitely a big, I, big locker room presence. I really believe, I really believe that the – the whole thing that fell apart with Rutherford and the reason he walked away was because I, and I think this started with getting rid of Hornquist. I think that's where it started. And I think they kind of soured on the direction he was taking things. I don't think Hextall would have gotten rid of him. Um, yeah. I don't know if that's true or not, but yeah. Hornquist hasn't exactly been lighting it up. No, he, he actually, he, well, he, he did. He, I mean, last three games, no, but yeah. beginning the season, he was on a roll. Like he, he had like, he had something like six goals in four games. Yeah. Like and he had, you, you know, know why? Cause exactly what you said, he parks himself he parks in front of the goal. Right. Look, and, I'm going to bring up, honestly, I'm going to bring Pittsburgh up a, doesn't have one of them right now. No, I'm going to bring up a Philadelphia flyer from back in the day who they need. So remember Tim Kerr. Kirk, um, Kirk, I remember him, but I don't remember why. I didn't watch. He couldn't. Back, he couldn't he skate. Okay, he was just huge, and he'd park his fat ass in front of that net, and nobody could move him. And he <laughs> would, 
he would get all those, you know, those stupid rebounds and just pop them in the net or he was tipping, tipping pucks or whatever. But you need that net front presence to screen the goaltender. And then when people talk about, wow, uh, you know, uh, you know, they're, they're, they get all these tip pucks and get the puck to the net, shoot the puck to the net. Well, it does you no freaking good in the NHL to shoot the puck to the net when you've got nobody screening the goaltender. No. You, you, and that's what, that's what the Penguins end up doing, a pass, 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 looking for the perfect shot because they don't have that guy. Who's, and, who, you know, the two teams right now in the Penguins divisions that pepper the goalie for every chance they get looking for deflection is Tampa and Philly. Yeah. Exactly. And guess what? They're one and two. Right. Exactly. Uh, that's what they do. They just throw the puck just, in, and in, get it on the goal, net. and hope something happens. Yeah. Yeah, because you're either going to get a nice, big, fat, juicy rebound or something else is going to happen. So, um, but yeah, I mean. That, the, I still the, think they're the they're a playoff team, the Pens. Okay. Okay. Um, they're going to be, I think it's going to come down to quite possibly them and the Caps for the last spot because I don't think the cap. I think the Capitals got old fast as well. Right, right. Um, and the Islanders, I just think when the Islanders are playing well, they they look better, especially <laughs> defensively than the Penguins. Washington looked even older when they got Zdeno Chara. Like, yeah, because he went and they, from and Washington old does to older. look old, but yeah, um, still nobody. What's Tom Wilson? Nobody wants to fight Wilson yet. Well, Wilson's just a goon. Like he's, but right, he's, a, but he's a goon that can score, though. I mean, he can score. That's he's right. Got I was going to say, he can put it in the net. He's got some skill. Yeah. But uh, he's also, you know, look, he's been, he's taking his cheap shots. And everybody knows he's a cheap shot artist. But you know what? That keeps your head on the swivel. And maybe you're not playing your game because you're looking out for where he is. So, and maybe you're not looking who's running down the ice on the other side. You don't look up because you're worried about one in the chops. Yeah. Oh, so before we wrap up, because we're almost to an hour, uh, I had a lot of fun um, with the uh, local Pittsburgh weather people. I'll just put yeah, it I saw you way. saying, I wish I could get paid that much to be wrong. <laughs> so, boy, they're sensitive, duty. Yeah, I guess I they mean, got they, back to you, huh? Oh, my. And not only that, like, it was like Anchorman. And like the team wanted to, they, they like the that the the uh, the the studio crew wanted to fight me in a back alley, like they all like the traffic department, the anch- the news anchor for the morning, they all came after us, <laughs> like all of them, you know. And I'm I'm, I'm just asking, like, you know, th- th- what to me, yeah. to me, okay. And people local will remember this. They've been around as long as I have. Joe Donardo. And I remember <laughs> Joe you, said it would be like you, this. Yeah, you know, because Joe said it would. And Nanette, Ch- I remember Nanette Chapman. I'll, I'll never forget. She was a female meteorologist with in the in WTAE. And my mother and I, we still laugh about this to this day. We they were predicting a huge snow, a big snow, and I forget how many inches they were calling for, but. You know, back when I was in school, and I know I'm going to sound like a crabby old fart right now, back when I was in school, like, it required at least seven or eight inches for them to close the school, okay? Right. Now, it could be two to four, and you're closed. So... Not only that, but they didn't close... When we were there, they didn't close it due to being cold, worried about how you no, were at the possible. Well, I will say this. They did close school for a few days when I was a kid because of the cold, because it was below zero, and they couldn't start the buses. That's the right. only it reason because why. because they gave a shit. You no. were sitting, standing at the bus stop. No, they didn't care about that. So No, they just couldn't get you. I re- my mom and I still laugh. Nanette Chapman looked at the camera and she said, the snow will be here in one hour. And duty, I swear to God, we never saw a flake. We ne- <laughs> Like a flake didn't even fall out of the sky and hit the ground. And yeah, so she was promoted to anchor. Probably. So when I, here's the thing. I just, I just want to know, like when you're calling for snow Mageddon and ice Mageddon and it doesn't, it doesn't happen. Like what especially I, within an hour within Yeah. Like, Oh my God, things are changing. Like how much oh, could it's the weather be, pattern change yeah, in 60 minutes? Like, you know what? How about manning up and getting on Twitter and saying like, 
oh, uh, you know, here's what happened. Let me yeah, explain. It went and south. This is, and, we got a look, big win from Erie. It took and this south. is and this is something. And you know, just say like, look, meteorology is not always an exact science, and things like this happen. I brought up I brought up this point on. I said, look, if you want to know how exact meteorology is, look at every time it's hurricane season, and a hurricane a hurricane forms in the Atlantic. Okay, and then they have the tracker. And they put up all the models that are saying, like, which way the storm is going to track. It looks like they got 12 three-year-olds with different colored crayons to draw across the map and to go in all these different directions because they put these computer models in and they don't know. They really don't know. So, to me, I'll go outside and look up. I'll try to get an idea. They are pretty, they're, they're really, really good on knowing what the temperature is going to be. And knowing the wind speed, but I'll tell you one thing that I've learned: as far as predicting how much snow you're going to get, they suck at it. Yeah, they absolutely do. So there, I'm done. You know, I won't, I won't pick on them anymore. I guess because I was told I was being mean. But okay. The other thing too, I want to know is how is there no lawsuits about who these TV stations hire? Because the prettier you are, you become a meteorologist. <laughs> Well, the thing is, I mean, I don't, I'll admit, I don't mind looking at them, but what I'm saying is, is that, you know, look, what I do for a living and what a lot of people do for a living depends on what the weather is and being able to get out and being able to drive. So you have to adjust your schedule. When you hear that, you know, that they've already put restrictions on the Pennsylvania Turnpike. Okay. Based on a weather report. Based on the weather report. And then it doesn't happen. And then the yeah. next thing you know, the per- turnpike is scrambling. Say, oh no, all you, all you tractor trailers, everybody, you're allowed back on. Meanwhile, some poor sap in a tractor trailer has had to wind his way up around Route 30 to try to get around because he's not on the allowed on the turnpike. Yeah. So this is, and look, come on TV and say, look, we try, we try our best. Here's the percentages of which we get it right. Here's the percentages of which we get it wrong. And, and you know what? When you're predicting the forecast, saying, look, here's the best case scenario. Here's the worst case scenario. And it's going to be somewhere in between. All right. I, I guess I, I, I don't know. I would have thought that we'd have come a long way in science and satellites. Yeah, I thought that Doppler and, radar shit was pretty much. The well, pff, well it's, was, it's, the, but it's radar. It's telling you what's there. Okay. It's there. All right. It's not telling you where I don't think that shit can tell you where it's going to be two hours from now. I don't think there. I don't think it's that good. So anyway, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done ranting. I'll stop being mean because God, you know, asking for an accurate weather forecast apparently is being mean. So duty. It was a blast. It was a blast having Jordan on the podcast and, um, you know, we'll, you know, we've got lots going on. Everybody, as you know, you can catch us on your favorite places to listen to podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud. Are we on Radio.com yet? No, we can go for that. Let me see what we got I mean, on that's where all the podcasts are going now. Well, that and, well, the one, the biggest podcast went to Spotify, but, you know. Yeah. But, uh, you know, yeah, we're we're trying to spread ourselves around. Again, you can... Send us an email, basementsportspodcast at gmail.com, basementsportspodcast at gmail.com. We're posting the podcast, as always, on Twitter and Facebook. Please give us a comment. Please give us a like. Let us know what you think. If you'd like to have an idea for guests, please let us know. We love having guests like Jordan Klein on. They, they really, really add to the podcast. We love the interviews. Uh, give us some commentary out there and let us know what you think. Yeah, thanks, everybody. Appreciate it. Like you said, we did this because we we used to sit around and talk sports anyway. Mm-hmm. So we decided, why not just do it? Yeah, do it. So do it we to have an fun audience. doing it. We do appreciate all the likes. We, we've gotten a lot more likes recently. We appreciate that. Uh, we're sure we'll have a big special podcast coming up when the Pirates trade for four or five actual major league players. Um, apparently, they're waiting to the beginning. Real close here to the did not start of spring did training. Not want to go there. We should get Alex Stump back on. And, uh, no, we see. don't. We want no. I want an angry 
steal. I want an angry season ticket holder pirate fan. That's what I want. Well, we could call Wayne Wagner. He's a former, former. Uh, yes, former yeah, but he was smart ticket. enough to get out of town. Yes. He doesn't do. I, I want a guy that's been a season ticket holder since 79. That's All right. what I want. All right, everybody. If you know somebody that has been a diehard pirate season ticket holder since the last time they won, since when they won the World Series in 79, Please or reach at out least to us. Been or, good. Or, or, or when they least, were in the, at least since they were in the one game playoffs. We'd love to have you on. We would. Yeah, love we just to want to know on. what you feel because I don't give a shit. I think the Pirates suck, and I think the owner sucks. I'm a Phillies <laughs> fan. Oh, and by the way, they suck. <laughs> I mean, I think I just as a baseball lover, I I think they're ridiculous, and they should be. The franchise should be made to sell, is what I think. <laughs> but. I also like to go down and watch in a major league baseball game at PNC park. Cause I think it is the absolute best ballpark to watch a game. At I do country. not, I do not disagree with you. All right, everybody until next time. Thank you. All right. See you guys.